Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's message on the Antioch Indie Podcast. We hope you can step away from this message being encouraged and blessed and to move into your week in the mighty name of Jesus. Have a great day. Amen, amen, amen. Go ahead and take a seat, pull out your Bible, pull out your notes. How many of you know God's not done this morning? God is on the move, and we are about to hear uh, a great word, not from me, but from everybody's favorite preacher at this church. Uh, no, actually, that's my wife, sorry. Uh, she's not preaching today. She's preaching in a few weeks. But everybody's second favorite preacher, my dad, Steve Zanako. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a really lame round of applause for somebody who's so awesome. Let him come up. Come on. Oh. He even gets his own little stand. Wow, what a humble man because I forgot to think about that. Awesome. He's amazing. He's got a word from the Lord because it's in the Bible. You love your Bible? You got it in your lap? If you don't, there's one under your seat and so you can make the adjustment and God's going to speak to us. Well, top five anyway, maybe. So we'll learn. Um, I want to tell you, every time I get to preach in this house. I'm so excited, but I, I got to tell you that God's been doing something about this series that we're launching today. And I just want to tell you, I, I hope we're, we're always expectant. I'm even more expectant. Um, this time he's been confirming this series through our life groups, through words that people are getting. And I'm just coming here, a, not, not a little bit, a lot in awe. And there's a sense that I have, sometimes when you work to, pre- to prepare a message, it's, it's a little tough to fight through and say, how is this going? This one, it's like it just flowed. And there was a sense of me of just kind of wanting to grab a bench and sit down and just read the words that God has given us. And so I just hope that we'll come in here with real expectation. And I pray that my biggest prayer this whole time is just that I would not get in the way of this. Um, another thing I want to share is someone, Mike, I don't know who you are, not Michael, but Mike, someone's had a word for you that there's going to be a healing go out this morning, so I'm just going to ask you to be really expectant and listen as we uh, continue to worship. Please turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. And while you're at it, please grab something to take notes with. We're a note-taking church because we always, always come expecting that God is going to say something that's worth remembering and worth writing down. Joy to the world The Lord has come, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. If there's anything that we take in this message, that it is a message of joy all over every word of this morning, and I pray that you'll feel God's joy as he encourages us and invites us. Joy to the world is a hymn that has helped us celebrate the truth of Christmas for hundreds of years. The familiar words of joy to the world come out of the story of the advent of Jesus. Advent simply means coming. And these words are part of the story that we have to celebrate the coming of our Savior. And the need and the command and the joy that we actually have in preparing him Room is a part of our celebrating the Savior. A major character in the coming of Jesus is the life and the role of John the Baptist, born just months ahead of Jesus. John's role is announced and given to the people by God. 
The angel appears to Zacharias and says, don't be afraid. In Luke 1.17, he says, don't be afraid. It is he who will turn and go as a forerunner before him in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then right after John is born, Zacharias again speaks these prophetic words over John in 176. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. And then even as Jesus has grown and John has grown and John has launched into his role in his ministry for preparing the way for Jesus, John is described by Luke, who uses the words of the prophet Isaiah that were written hundreds of years earlier about the coming of Jesus and says, it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness will make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every ravine will be filled, every mountain and hill will be brought low, the crooked will become straight and the rough road smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Now, although these passages carried so much meaning of what it will mean to have our Savior come and be with us, all that he will do when he comes, it is important that we see that these verses are also very much about what we, God's people, must do if we are to receive the fullness of the glory of our Savior. All through the passages is the encouragement for God's people to prepare for him, prepare a way for him. These passages are often looked of only at the angle of Jesus and all that he will accomplish as he comes and he leads us. And we take those passages as if he will indeed tear down every mountain and fill in every valley and the streams. And that is so true. And we need to hold the beauty of that truth and reality. But these passages also have to be treasured for the prophetic encouragement that they are to us, that if we are going to walk fully in the joy of Jesus, we have to prepare him room. Isaiah's words were originally written about a people as they were about to be taken off into exile into Babylon. And these words were written and casting a vision that those people in exile, lost and everything taken from them, would someday look out and see the rescuer coming to them. And he was saying to them, you have to prepare for him. You want to look out and say, there he is. And we have to prepare for him. The biggest thing to come to this city has so far has been the Super Bowl. According to the world, there's not much bigger than the Super Bowl. To accommodate the Super Bowl, Indianapolis had to make some adjustments. But the Super Bowl was able to fit in Indianapolis. The picture of this passage is something so big, so huge, it will not fit into any current constructs that we hold and hold on to. It's like looking at the inner saying, oh, no, 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 no. What's coming is so big that it is going to, you have to, it'll, t- it'll tip off the tallest building in Indianapolis, so tear it down. It's so wide and so far that the 10 lanes of 465, it won't carry it. Widen it 20 times more. It's so depth that White River can't bind it. Fill it in. That's the picture of these verses. What's coming is so huge that it cannot be contained in what you currently hold and constrict on what this beautiful Savior is going to be like.
if we want to fit, if we want to experience all the joy of Jesus, we need to prepare him room. It's an amazing invitation. Can I have the, God gave me this picture of this toy. So I went out and got this. It's like this, just hold on to this. He's just looking and going, here's your constructs. It's beautiful, it's fabulous. But if you're gonna accept Jesus, gotta blow out every door. That was $40, I hope that was worth it. So that's what we're gonna look at. That's what we're gonna look at in this series. How do we prepare him room so we get the awesomeness, the fullness, the joy, and the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ? We're going, to be, we're going to go bigger than how do we just keep the season about the season and how do we keep from traditions from binding us up? How do we keep the gifts and the business of swallowing up Christmas? We're talking bigger than that. We're talking about how do we prepare a life that every hour of every day of every second we hold and enjoy the joy and fullness of our Savior Jesus. So how? How? How do you prepare him room Well, all the passages I've just referenced, John is the prescription for it. And what does John say to do? Repent. And all the oxygen just went out of the room. Did he really just insert repentance into the Christmas story? And yes, I did. Unapologetically. I did, but repentance is not a buzzkill, folks. Repentance has gotten a bad rap, and it's totally gotten misunderstood. Repentance simply means change plans, change tactics, change your understanding, change your direction. Repentance has one meaning. It is not a condemnation of God. Repentance is an invitation from God to turn in all the tactics and all the ways that do not work for the one that will guaranteed to work. That's repentance. That's the joy of repentance. And so Acts 3.19 says, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That picture is if you've ever been an athlete or ever gotten a ball in your gut and you feel like you can't get a breath. You struggle, you struggle, you fight, you fight, and you believe you're going to die because you're never going to breathe again. And all of a sudden... That's repentance. The refreshing breath that comes from the presence of God. Anybody need that? Isaiah 30, 15, For thus the Lord, the God, the Holy One of Israel has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and strength is your... In quietness and trust is your strength. Rest. Salvation. Strength. How about that? Anybody need that? Repentance is fully, wonderfully, joyfully a part of the Christmas story. Repentance is joyous because it means freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from masters, freedom from strife, from fear, and freedom to enjoy the fullness and the security of the joy that Jesus has brought us. In this series, we're recapturing God's glorious view of the gift of repentance, looking at the shifts and the changes that happened in three characters in the Christmas story. 
the Christmas, this week we're going to look at the story of Joseph. We're going to look at the changed directions, changed thinking that had to happen in three of these characters in order for them to fully enjoy the fullness and the joy and the glory of Jesus. This week we're going to look at Joseph, the man engaged to Mary and who held the position of Jesus' earthly father. For Joseph to embrace and enjoy the carrying the fullness of the glory of Jesus, Joseph had to prepare him by pushing out his walls. The name of the title of the series is Prepare Him Room. The title of this message is Pushing Out Walls. First, a little bit of background about what we know about Jesus. We know that preceding the offering, that, that the prescribed thank offering in the law of Moses, if you had a baby boy, was a lamb to present a lamb to the temple and a turtle dove. There was a provision for the poor in that law that if you were too poor to afford that, you could give two turtle doves. Joseph brought two turtle doves. Joseph was very poor. At the time of Joseph's receiving the announcement of Mary's pregnancy, Joseph was only engaged to Mary. They were not yet married. But in the culture, the, uh, being engaged carried the same equivalent as marriage and could only be broken by death or by a formal certificate of divorce. Any sexual impropriety during an engagement period was considered adultery. We also need to be clear that Joseph was very clear on how women became pregnant. When Mary became pregnant, Joseph was not wondering to himself, hmm, it wasn't me, but it might be God. The prophecy about the virgin birth, it was still being clarified at that time. So many of the prophecies about the Messiah were still being clarified. We know this because the disciples who walked and talked and ministered with Jesus still didn't get it all. This was not clear. Joseph had only one reasonable option before him. My wife, whom I'm engaged to, has betrayed me. Joseph is described as a righteous man, meaning he followed the tenets of his religion and the Mosaic law. And according to the Mosaic law, Joseph could not marry Mary. It wasn't an option. Two options. Divorce her publicly and publicly humiliate her or do it quietly in front of two witnesses. Joseph went to bed that night just like any one of us would have been. He was humiliated, brokenhearted, betrayed, and believing that he knew what he must do for his reputation, for his religion, even for his God. He must divorce Mary, but he would do it quietly in front of two witnesses. But that night, a life-changing event happens. Matthew 1, 20 through 21. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived is in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And right there, Joseph, Joseph has a choice to make. The same choice all of us face today. The same choice. Did what I just hear. Was it wishful thinking? Was it a dream that I want to come true? Was it my thought process? Or did God, just speak to me. That's the choice. And Joseph pushes his walls way out from where he was living and chooses to believe that God had spoken to him. 
Matthew 124, and Joseph awoke from his sleep and he did as the angel Lord commanded him to do and took Mary as his wife. And Joseph's choice, listen to this, Joseph's choice that day to believe God had spoken literally changed the world. Like Joseph, if we're gonna embrace, enjoy, and carry the fullness of the glory of the Savior, we're gonna have to push out the walls and believe that God speaks and that he speaks to each one of us and he speaks to you. God appearing and speaking to the people has a fancy title, it's called theophanies. Theophanies really is just a combination of two Greek words, God and appearance. There are lots and lots of appearances, lots and lots of theophanies that happen throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they bring lots of debate about the details. It uses the term often, angel of the Lord. And sometimes the discussion is, well, is it just an angel, a regular angel? Is it the angel Gabriel? Or a lot of evidence to prove that it was actually Jesus himself in some of these events. And we get stuck in this question of like, who was it? But here's the thing, here's the thing. While the debate may be interesting, here's what I do know about all those theophanies, is after the debate about how, they just settled on, it was God. This is where we have to learn from our children. We, we give our gift to our children, and they don't stand around and say, well, did it come by UPS? Did it come by FedEx or the partial post? They just rip into the present and start playing with it. And we got to do the same thing. Joseph didn't head out to the scholars and say, hey, was this just angel? Was it the angel Gabriel? Was it God? He just dug in and said, God just spoke to me, and I'm moving. And we too, if we're going to enjoy the fullness of our Savior, we too must push out our walls and believe that God speaks. There are many outside and even inside the church who do not believe that God still speaks. Or they restrict it and say the only way he speaks is through his written word. But we believe here that the scriptures are clear, that God speaks both through his word and through his spirit. Yeah. Ephesians 1.17, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. If we're going to prepare him room to receive the fullness of our Savior, we must be a people who seek both knowledge and revelation received by God speaking directly to us always in line with his word, but there is still revelation that he speaks directly to our hearts that we must give him space to confirm. God speaks, and not just to others, he speaks to you, and you, and you, and you. All of you. He wants to speak to all of you. One of the biggest holdbacks in my spiritual life is that I spent years walking around saying God doesn't speak to me. And I was wrong. I walked around saying and therefore believing God doesn't speak to me. I saw how God spoke to others. I saw how God spoke to Linda. And I saw how God spoke to some of you. But he didn't speak to me that way. He didn't give me words. He didn't give me verses. And therefore, I was like, oh, I, got, I came to believe that God spoke. But I thought he speaks for Linda. He speaks through Andrew. But he doesn't speak through me. The lie I was believing was that there was one specific way that God speaks, and that's a lie. He speaks in all kinds of different ways. So 
how he spoke through Linda or Andrew or Francis Chan. Speak whoever it is. Pick anyone. If it didn't look like that, then God wasn't speaking to me. And that lie betrayed me. Believing that handicap, believing that lie handicapped my walk for a decade. And I'm inviting you not to take that same journey. Here's the truth. God speaks to me and he speaks to you. In John 16, he promises to guide you in all truth. In Acts 1.8, he promises to give you power. In Acts 5, he promises to be your witnesses to things you can never experience unless he tells you about them. In Acts 7, he reveals his glory to you. In Acts 13, he promises to fill you. In Luke 10, he brings you rejoicing. In Luke 12, he's your teacher. In Romans 5, he pours out love of God directly into your heart. In John 14, he helps you remember who he is. In Galatians 3.3, he promises to complete what he's already started in you. And in Romans 2, he circumcises your heart. And in Romans 8, he says, I'm your very life. You are a child of God. And he can't wait to speak to you. That's just an absolute truth. Walk in that truth. And put aside your doubts. For me to walk out the truth, two practical changes were needed. First, I needed to assume it was God. I needed to assume it was God. Andy, I'm stealing something from you for two days ago because you described it better than I did. Andy did this. I listened to him say it was so beautiful. He said, he started with, I believe it was me. Maybe it was God. And he changed to, I believe it's God. Maybe it was me. Oh, gold, Andy. That change had to happen in me. I had to start, not arrogantly, but humbly. When you hear something, assume that it's God until it is proven that it's not. I used to dismiss everything as my thoughts, my processing, my coincidence, heartburn. It didn't matter what it was. <laughs> and in doing that, I missed so many encounters with God and it dismissed all of their impact and their power. And I found that as I assumed that the revelation was from God, guess what? That gave God time to confirm it through other ways. And all of a sudden I realized I was hearing from God all over the place. Assume it's God, go for it humbly, but go for it. You're gonna make mistakes, it's okay. If you do it humbly, it's not gonna be a problem. And trust me, the winds are going to so far outlast the losses, you're going to want to do it more. So just go for it. Second, I had to learn how did God speak to me? And that was different than he speaks to many of you. Not less than, not more than, just different. God speaks to you, but only focus on the how. Don't entertain the if. Just ask him how and let him show you. Joseph would hear from God at least three times as he guarded and protected the life of our Savior. He would hear from God about how Mary became pregnant. He would hear from God about having to take Jesus to Egypt to keep him from being murdered by Herod. He would hear from God about how he would have to return to Galilee to start his ministry. And it was critical that Joseph hear, believe, and act each time. And the same invitation for us. Believe, hear, believe, hear, and act. It's beautiful. Like Joseph, if we're to receive the fullness of the glory of God, he will have to push out the walls of our belief that God speaks, and he speaks to each one of us. Praise God.
Second, if we're going to enjoy the fullness of the Savior, we're going to have to push out the walls of our limitations on God's ways. God's plans for Joseph's life could not have turned out how Joseph thought they were going to. Wife is pregnant before he's ever physically with him, with her. He knew he now carried the Savior of the world, and yet when he goes to Bethlehem, nobody will even give him a room to have the baby birthed. Instead of being honored by the kings as the king of kings, kings were trying to murder Jesus. His family was uprooted over and over again. He did not even fully understand the son that he was given to raise. Yet we often approach our discipleship with this A plus B equals C mentality. Where did we come up with this spreadsheet mentality about how God works? Where did we start thinking that God would fit into our reasoning and our logic and all things would line up? When did we start believing that God's ways was going to look like our ways? It's so deceptive. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When did we start thinking God's plans were going to fit into our comfortable, secure, logical, and cautious preferences? God has not hidden any of this from us. It is very clear. He's been very transparent about how the way this is going to look. Just journey through the story of God. Want to fight a war? We're going to build an army. God's going to send most of the army home. Cross a body of water? We're going to build a bridge. God's going to walk right through the middle of it. God, show yourself by rescuing the three guys in the fire. Nah, I'm going to go in it with them. Send the people away, Lord, so they can eat. You feed them with the scraps that I've given you. Find the gifted and the rich. That's how you build a movement. Nope, I'm going to use the poor, the uneducated, and the sinners. I'm going to build my movement on weak men and strong women. Rain down curses on them, Lord. I will instead send up prayers. Stay with us, Lord. It's best that I leave. Show your worth, Jesus, by coming down from the cross. I will stay here and show you my love. It's everywhere. We must expect God's plans to be different than ours and take us to places that we would not normally go and that are not going to make sense to us. Two silly and simple illustrations. Sitting in P.F. Chang's with a friend of mine who's not a believer, has no tendency towards faith, and I'm having a conversation with him and God all of a sudden starts talk, speaking to me and saying, pray for him. And I'm doing the argument in my head. He's not a believer. I don't know how to pray for him. I'll get, so I just break down and say, okay, I start praying for him silently. I didn't mean silently. I meant out loud. Yeah, I kind of knew that, but <clears throat> thought maybe you'd forget. So I keep praying. I say, okay, I'll do it out loud. And I just start to do sweating. I am doing, I'm in the middle of a restaurant. And he says, oh, no, and, and, and touch his arm. I'm like, oh, God, he'll freak out. I'm going to embarrass the heck out of him. We're in the middle of a restaurant. He doesn't even believe, touch his arm. So I did. And I prayed for him. And I looked up and there was tears in his eyes. And he said, no one's ever done that for me before. And another friend of mine was down. And I can't remember the exact details. But in the middle of a prayer meeting, with all holiness and sanctification, God told them to laugh out loud. And it's like, I it kept saying laugh out loud. Finally, he laughed out loud. And the preacher or the, the uh, missionary down there said that God had told him someone would bring joy back to him by laughing out loud in the prayer meeting. But see, my common sense is going to be, that can't be God. 
That's going to embarrass somebody. Let it rip, folks. <laughs> if we're going to enjoy... If we're going to enjoy the fullness of coming our Savior, we're going to have to prepare him room, and we're going to have to push out the walls of our limitations on God's ways. And third, if we're going to prepare him room, we're going to have to push out the walls of fears, insecurities, and comfort. We're going to have to be committed to saying yes. Joseph was a poor carpenter, and yet he had to move his family three times. And in case you have any doubts about what moving was like in the lifetime of Jesus. It carried doubts. Traveling was costly. It was difficult and filled with danger. And when he left, there was not even a guarantee that he would have a place for his baby to be born. <clears throat> but every time God told Joseph to do something, Joseph simply said yes and did, did it. <clears throat> My first yes. I was in 1992. The wall had come down in Russia and there was this unbelievable opening for a people that had been closed off to the word of God for 70 years. Not even allowed in the country, no Bibles allowed to be read, nothing. And there was this opening and I was invited to be one of the first groups to go in to share the gospel and teach courses on Christian morals and ethics to teachers inside that country. But I knew a lot about Russia at that time. Never been overseas before in my life and I knew that that country was a shambles. I didn't know a whole lot about it but we knew it was dangerous and we also knew there were no faxes working, there were no phones, there was no communication and I'd be out of contract, contact with my family and my four children for four straight weeks and that scared me. On top of that, it was during the time of my busiest season of my own business. So it didn't make any sense. So I did what any normal disciple of Jesus would do. I said, no, I'm not going. I did. I was very settled in my answer. I had all the reasonings lined up, and it all worked on paper. But God didn't give up until I finally said a faith-filled yes that actually, if you read my journal, sounds like this. Fine, I'll go and watch. I won't have anything when I come back. You could read those words. That was my yes. Can I share with you just one of the hundreds of encounters with God that I had on that trip? It was dangerous. And we would get bussed into a conference and the bus would leave and we were living in a secured um, place where they had put the American delegation because of the danger. And we were told, when the bus leaves that conference, if you're not on that bus, you're on your own until the next morning. There's nobody coming to get you. So I was teaching in one of the conferences in one of my small groups. One of the teachers that was in my conference said, my grandmother heard that there were Christians in the country. Imagine that, even that statement. There's Christians in the country. She needs to talk with you. Will you come to dinner? I knew that meant watching that bus drive out and not knowing. And at that time, Moscow, none of the lights, none of the street lights worked, nothing. It was a scary place. And I asked a friend to go with me who was uh, in country trying to study to be a missionary. Neither one of us knew the language and we decided we would go. And so um, long story short, we ended up waiting at this bus stop. A Russian tax driver pulls up. We get in the car. We start driving. I'm trying to leave breadcrumbs along the way, watching for signs. And I'm realizing all of a sudden I have no idea where I am. And nobody, I couldn't even tell if I could talk with somebody. I couldn't tell where I was. 35 minutes later, we arrive at a broken down apartment complex and we climb nine floors into an apartment. It looked like a slum. I was scared. We walk in and knock and open up. And we walk in and there is a grandmother and this daughter and their granddaughter and one grandniece, four women. And they have a meal prepared for us, but there's no interpreter. The interpreter didn't show up, so we couldn't communicate. And we began to eat the meal, but they didn't eat. 
we're talking to each other and we're going like, what's going on? Why aren't they eating? We're kind of sure we have no interpreter. And I'm like, I think maybe they just want us to eat. And he goes, I don't think there's enough food. So we act like we were full and we step back and they ate what was left on the scraps on our plates. About an hour later, the interpreter showed up and here's what happened. Finally, the grandmother said, I had to see you. I heard that there were Christians in the, in the country. We have been told God has been dead for 70 years, but I am baptized and I baptized my daughter and I baptized my granddaughter and I baptized my niece, but I don't know what it means. Tell me about my baptism. <laughs> In a place that I can't even find again, that nobody cares exists, God was there and telling them I'm real. And I was never the same again. I never wanted to be the same again. It was not a great yes. It's not a yes you'd write in books about. It was just a simple yes. But that one yes was a catalyst that changed my entire life and my entire view of God. If not for that yes, I guarantee you I would not be here on this wonderful adventure that we're calling Antioch Indy today and that I love so much. Many of, you could not, many of you could stand up here and share story after story of yeses you've said in the midst of uncertainty, fear, and doubt. And God took that mustard seed of faith and grew a great, great tree of faith. But if you don't say yes, it's so sad. There's not anger, just sadness. Because God will stay small in your life. Not because he is small but because you never stepped out long enough, wide enough, outside enough to let him show you how big he really is. And that's his heart for you as a father. If you knew how big, nothing's gonna wreck your day. That's all I want you to know. If we want to enjoy the fullness of all that has come in our savior, we're gonna have to push out the walls of comfort, fear, and insecurity and just say yes to the Lord whenever he tells us to do. Yes, Jesus, I'll do it. Finally, if we want to enjoy the fullness of all that has come to us in our Savior, we're going to have to push out the walls of our definitions of success. In my opinion, we, the Big C Church, have fallen too close to measuring things in the same measuring metrics that the rest of the world measures. We measure our impact, and we measure numbers, and we measure platform, and we measure likes, and we measure dollars, and we're measuring things that seems clear to me in the scriptures that God doesn't care about. We already saw God's ways are not our ways. Shouldn't this release us from the pressure of trying to measure everything as to whether or not it's a success or a failure? I had a growth in my prayer life. It was a wonderful suggestion, but some teacher told me to keep a prayer journal and then write down every prayer that I had and then next to it write yes, no, or maybe and put the date. And so I did it and I got worn out. Uh, if I don't know how it's supposed to go, how do I know if it's a yes? How do I know if it's a no? When do I measure it? And Jimmy Seibert and I were talking about how many revelations of God are missed because we put certain time restraints on when that revelation would be confirmed. We don't know. Think about the early church. If they were measuring how we measure now, there were no large churches only small churches or host churches, and those were often filled with relational and theological strife. In a relatively short time, 
most of the leaders of the original leaders of the movement had been martyred. You could walk the streets and see crucified Christians. Inside of 70 years, the capital of that faith, Jerusalem, would be totally destroyed by the Roman occupying armies. I was reading church history and I think I found the answer. I need, I read that a historian who said that the early church, they didn't measure results. They only asked one question. They're only concerned about one thing. Were you faithful? That is what we must return to. Instead of always trying to measure results, we need to be a people to encourage each in this one question. Were you faithful to what God asked you to do? And if the answer is yes, then let the measurements be God's alone. And let us just commend our people for walking in faith. Historically, can I tell you something that's really cool about our heritage? Historically, Antioch Church was known as a people who wore out evil. It wasn't that they were, they didn't have it. They just wore it out. They just said, we're never going to stop believing. And as all as I can tell you, as much as I know, I believe that is the call on this body of believers, Antioch Indy. We are not to be the biggest. We are not to be the best. We are not to be the most talented, but we are called to be a people who are known for faith and for people that will just not stop believing until evil ceases. It's that simple and it's that powerful. In Joseph's life, it doesn't look like he hit any measure of what his people, his culture, his world, or even his religion would define as success. Joseph was poor his entire life, uprooted his family three different times, ended up in Galilee, hardly a booming metropolis. He was just a poor carpenter. He's actually hardly even mentioned in the scriptures a few years after Jesus' life. It led most scholars to believe the most likely conclusion is that Joseph likely died early. Joseph, by every measurement, acknowledged, some people acknowledged him as the father of Jesus, but he always carried that waging insult, that question, were you really even Jesus' father or just a fool that married a woman who was unfaithful to you? He even gave up his reputation. Joseph did not make the Hebrews 11 his list of the hall of faith. Not many books were written about him. Not many talks about Joseph's acts of faith, but by any measure, his friends, his times, his culture, his religion, Joseph did not celebrate, was not celebrated as a success. But don't shed a tear for Joseph. 2,000 years later, I'm preaching a sermon about his acts of faith. It's not an exaggeration to say that all of us here know the very lover of our souls because of Joseph's acts of faith because he pushed out the walls and believed that God spoke to him, because he pushed out the walls of limiting God's ways, because he pushed out the walls of comfort and security and just said yes, because he pushed out the walls of definition of success and lived a life of no reputation. And we are here because of his acts of faith. And let's not forget, let's not forget, Joseph got to cuddle with the savior of the world. How's that for success? Our Savior is so big and so wonderful and so unstoppable that if we're going to experience 
the fullness and the wonder of his glory, we must push out every wall. We want to. We need to prepare him room. And at the end of Isaiah 40, after the encouragement to prepare him room, God gives us this promise through Isaiah. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let every heart prepare him.